if you or someone you know is getting married. Talking about marital property laws is probably not high on the list of wedding planning, but it probably should be. Here today to talk with me about marital property laws and premarital agreements is Amy Pindanoki. Amy is a partner with the statewide law firm of Gornson Bain Osley. She is well respected by her peers, often receiving recognitions from Texas Super Lawyers, D Magazine, and the Best Lawyers. Uh, and it is my privilege to have her here to join me in this conversation. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you, Jennifer, for having me today. So one of the things I want to start off asking you is what do you find people are most often surprised to learn about Texas marital property law? I think a lot of times people don't understand the idea of what is separate property and what is community property. They come into our office, especially when they're getting ready to get divorced, and after years of marriage have no idea how things are titled, inception of title, how inheritance works, how interest on separate property assets work, and what belongs to both themselves as their separate ownership or to themselves as a family. One of the things I found, and maybe this is true for you too, is that um, sometimes people think that just because I earned the money, it belongs to me and my spouse doesn't get any of it, or that's my 401k, so I don't have to share it with them. Or if we bought a house and I put it in my name, that it's my house and my spouse doesn't have an interest in it. And I mean, these are often things that are just not correct. And we as divorce lawyers have to talk about the fact that, um, nope, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Um, how have you found premarital agreements to be helpful uh, for people who are entering into marriage. One of the things I hear is that, you know, it's like, why, why should we be planning for our divorce when we're getting married? But there really is more to it than that. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Sure. I think a lot of times I see premarital agreements as an extension of premarital counseling. It is the first discussion of how both husband and wife or the parties themselves see money and see how what is earned or spent during marriage, how it's titled, how it's acquired, how they're going to save it, how they're going to spend it, and what belongs to each of them. So it's really a powerful tool just to discuss finances before getting married and certainly before 20 years down the road if a marriage doesn't work out or in the event of death just how it's treated and what's going to happen. You're exactly right. I think for so many couples who jump into marriage without having those important conversations, the finances become a very sore, a sore point in the marriage. You know, one of the things um, I find that often comes up when we're negotiating a premarital agreement that the couple hasn't really discussed yet is roles. Like if we have children, who's gonna, are we both gonna continue to work and contribute mm -hmm. or will one of us stay home? And you know, negotiating a premarital agreement is one of those things that can really, um, we can really have a, a frank conversation about at the onset. So much so, and a lot of times when clients come in and I'm bringing that up with them, I realize it's the first time they've thought about it or talked about it. When we say, okay, if you're gonna have kids, maybe one of you is going to stay home and that's going to impact your retirement. That's going to impact your ability to save or to invest. 
How are we going to treat that? How are we going to compensate for that? And what are we going to do? And those, I see light bulbs going off in people's heads because they haven't thought about it. And now all of a sudden it's something that they and their future spouse can talk about and plan for now instead of again down the road if things go south. What you and I know as divorce lawyers, as marital property lawyers, is that there's a whole system of laws that overlays the marriage relationship. And you know, people enter into this, this relationship, really this, um, this partnership without knowing what those laws are. And a premarital agreement affords them the opportunity to be able to customize it. If you don't like the way the law says it has to be handled, you can change that, right? Well, and the good thing is also, I think that you are agreeing at the beginning of your marriage, the laws that are in effect today that we now understand and agree to are going to be the ones that control our divorce if that happens in the state of Texas or wherever we move. You're kind of putting that plan in place if and when marriage were to dissolve down the road, no matter where you are. So you can understand the laws and it can be clear for everyone at the very beginning. And that's true, even if the couple were to move outside of the state of Texas, that marital property agreement, the premarital agreement can actually, that contract between you and your spouse can still govern wherever you end up. Absolutely, because different states have different laws and Texas's laws are very different than many states across the United States. So if you contract together, that our laws in Texas are gonna be what controls. If you get divorced or if one party predeceases the other, you have so much more security and control than just giving control to a court or a probate court later on in life. And much better to be having these discussions and negotiating this contract, these terms, when you um, are still in love with the person. So I think it, 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 it there's a lot more um, uh, goodwill, I think, that goes in at the time when you're negotiating in a premarital agreement. You just mentioned predeceasing because I think that's another important point is that, you know, a marriage is going to end, right? <laughs> One way or the other, <laughs> they all the do. Other. And so it's also important for people, especially I think for second marriages where you have children from a prior marriage, um, you know, to have this conversation about what happens in the event of death and, and really preserve your children from having to have an estate, a, a war of the, of, the, of the heirs. I think that's really true. I find for most couples, money is the hardest thing for people to discuss. And it's even harder when either someone is in the midst of a divorce or there is a death. So discussing it at the very beginning and planning, and especially like you said, if it is a second marriage and each side or one side wants to look out for their kids from a prior marriage or relationship, it is so much better to have that open discussion when the lines of communication are clear <laughs> rather than at the end of a marriage or at the time of death and no one's ever talked about it. That is such a good point because both a divorce or death are such emotional times when people are making such emotional decisions. And so really in negotiating the premarital arrangement, you're you know in that in a place of love and in a place of goodwill and in a place of clear thinking where you're not overwhelmed by emotions. And creativity too, because 
the two of you can come up with your own customized agreement rather than just letting it be guided by the laws. And that's why I really think of it as a type of premarital counseling because you're having discussions and you're crafting something that's customized and personal for you and for your family. Okay, so talking about it as premarital counseling, we're gonna to get to that in just a moment, but let's talk about the traditional way that the premarital agreement gets brought up. And we know because we see for so many of our clients, that is, if you're the one who's you know, on the receiving end of the premarital agreement, it can feel like you're getting punched in the gut, you know? It oh, feel like absolutely. That and it often hard. comes like a week or a month <laughs> right before a marriage, you've been given a contract, a very dense 40 page contract full of legalese that we as lawyers have crafted and you're being told or asked to sign this and the clock is ticking. Oh, and it is that is such heartache. And it's it's if that has happened to you, we just want you to know we get it. It is it is hard to be on the receiving end of that. And I also think, you know, for the spouse who's proposing it that way, you, you need to understand it just sets up a very almost an adversarial relationship at a time when it shouldn't be. You're not adversaries, you're coming together to form a union. Exactly. It's just, it's so much harder that way because everyone is tense. The one who is presenting the agreement, often their attorney has said, here's what we do and here's what you should ask for. And the receiving side is taking this agreement to an attorney saying, I've been told <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to have. And there's so little communication. Uh, between them. And it's such a hard way to start a marriage. So we certainly understand why a lot of people are opposed to, you know, the idea of a premarital agreement, because I think so often it gets started on the wrong foot. All right. That's the traditional way of doing it. How have you seen it done in other ways that actually makes for a better marriage? Well, I think the number one way is start early. So the time clock is not just ticking down and you're trying to plan for your wedding and negotiate a premarital agreement. I think also if you can have open discussions with your future spouse about your expectations, your views on money, what you're coming into your marriage with, assets and debt-wise, just be able to have an open, frank discussion you are going to have a much easier time working through and negotiating your agreement rather than just coming into it from a place of uncertainty. And also if you can do it collaboratively, which I know we're gonna talk about, it can be so much better. I think you've just given some really important tips there. I think that timeliness is so important. You know, hitting your spouse, your intended spouse with a premarital agreement the weekend before the wedding is a terrible way to start it off. So as much advanced planning as possible. All right, let's talk about the collaborative process and how that can benefit people who are thinking about a premarital agreement. Well, the great thing about the collaborative process itself to me is that it is customized from the very beginning. Each side is still represented by a lawyer, which is important, but you also have some additional players in the mix who are there to help guide uncomfortable discussions because again, money is the hardest thing to discuss. 
Um, having that neutral financial professional be able to help everyone figure out, number one, this is what we're each coming into this with, assets and debts wise, and two, start having discussions about, here's what we do in the state of Texas. Here's what the law says. Now, what did the two of you want to do? I love that. You know, I found when we've done a collaborative premarital agreement, um, one of the great things is really being able to bring all the wisdom from the various professionals to the table to talk about the way we've seen different scenarios play out. And so the couple can really um, have an opportunity to talk about you know, possible situations that are likely to arise and how do they want to address that and to do it again at a time when they're filled with goodwill. <laughs> and it's a much better safe conversation. environment. And it's safe and that's so important. And you know, it, typically it's not unusual for one party to come in with more assets and more sophisticated understanding and the other party may not. And this is a place where, you know, the, the party who isn't accustomed to all of the wealth and understanding what that means can really ask good questions and get good advice. And I think also what's really empowering is when you have a concern about a provision in the agreement, like you said, if one of the future spouses knows, hey, maybe I'm not going to be working, so my income stream is going to stop. I am really concerned about how this affects me. If we were to get divorced five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, it is a safe place to be able to ask those questions to your spouse, to the neutral financial advisor, and also to the mental health professional who can help us talk about it in a safe way that's not defensive or antagonistic. And then you can really talk about what you each feel and how you see things and be more open and honest rather than us as attorneys just sending our no i don't agree with this provision yes i want this and neither side gets to talk and it's taken the wrong way exactly i mean i you know when you when we are sending premarital agreements back and forth in sort of the traditional way of doing it it can really feel offensive because you're asking, you're denying, you're, you know, there's no conversation that's happening about the common goals. One of the things I love about the collaborative process is it is focused on goals and interests. And so often people share common goals when it comes to marriage, you know, and how they, um, yeah, how they want the finances to be handled and what kind of lifestyle they want to live. And so it's really helpful to start off with that common ground. And to discuss it too, because again, so many of our families that we see coming into our offices for divorce have never had those discussions. And they've never had the discussions about expectations on spending. Um, if it's a second marriage, how they're each going to take care of their children and what their responsibilities are. It's just, it's a taboo subject a lot of times, I think for couples because it's hard and they don't discuss it and it becomes a problem in their marriage. If you can tackle it, like you said, when everyone is happy and in love <laughs> and they have support and wisdom to be able to talk about it, just get it out there and figure out what you're going to do for your family ahead of time. 
you brought up a really good point, and that is not discussing these issues doesn't make them go away, right? In fact, not at all. <laughs> those are the ones that fester. And you know, you and I are both supporters of marriage. <laughs> we want people to have good marriages and to get the most out of their marriages. Um, how have what kind of creative solutions have you seen people come to in a collaborative negotiation of a premarital agreement? I think one of the things that I've seen recently that I thought was a really thoughtfully discussed situation and resolution was for a second marriage where both parties were successful high wage earners, but they were planning on having kids together. And the wife was planning on staying home for a period of time with their you know, joint children. And she knew that she was going to be giving up a lot in terms of retirement or savings or earnings. And what they did was they reached an agreement where a certain percentage of their joint income was going to be set aside for her to both be able to invest and continue to establish and set out retirement for herself. And it was such a powerful agreement because she felt like she was getting value for staying home at the outset. And it wasn't something negotiated where her spouse felt like he was just going to be paying money if their marriage didn't work. I think they both really felt like it was a resolution that respected each of their individual personalities and roles and also their joint goal to have a family. I love that. And that is such um, such a great example of how having these kind of constructive conversations can really turn a situation that might otherwise be one that fill, is filled with resentment, you know, and really helping them both be empowered in that situation. Um, I, I if somebody wants to follow up and or wants to have the conversation with their partner about a premarital agreement, what advice do you have for them? I think one of the best piece of advice I can have is come into the discussion willing to listen. Come into the discussion without being positional and having an open mind and just taking a deep breath and being willing to be vulnerable and to hear your spouse or your future spouse, I think that is the best advice I can give because so many people are so tense and so stressed about money. And we, I think just our society tends to be so closed off about that discussion. Come into it just willing to listen and to talk and to hear how your partner feels and what their concerns are and be willing to share your own. And I think it can be such a positive discussion. Oh, that's great advice. You know, the final thing that I want to talk about is just the fact that a premarital agreement is not inexpensive. <laughs> right. You are negotiating, you know, the terms that are going to govern your marriage and govern, you know, life after marriage. Um, and so it, it does cost money. Um, but do you ever do consultations with people who just come in to learn about marital property law to help them decide whether or not a premarital agreement is a right thing for them? I do, because a lot of Texas family law is guided by statute. 
And so if people want to come in and just understand, especially if maybe they're getting married, they've worked for a while, they've established something for themselves, to understand what is their separate property, how to keep that separate if that's their goal, um, I think that discussion can be an incredibly valuable use of an hour or a couple of hours about how to save your bank statements, download them and save them, save your tax returns, keeping some accounts separate, um, knowing if you're going to buy a house, what documents you need to keep if you're each putting down separate money, and what discussion to have with your future spouse about what are our expectations of how we're going to own this? That can save you a lot of money for a future divorce, which can be a lot more expensive than a premarital agreement itself. I, I think that's really wise and sage advice that even if you know you decide not to get a premarital agreement, still kind of learning how how the state laws impact your marital property rights, I think is incredibly smart to do. So um, I share with you in that. I wanna thank you so much for taking time to come and talk with me today um, about premarital agreements and about how really couples can get started on the right foot um, in their marriage. Um, and if you wanna learn more, we're gonna post links uh, so you can find Amy um, at Gorenson Bain Osley and learn more about her prize. Thank you so much.